Uh, we are continuing the Thrill of Hope series. Today, we're going to be looking at another person that was promised that the Messiah would come and redeem them uh, from their ways of their prior life. So let's turn in our Bibles to Acts chapter 2, as we will read today in Acts chapter 2. The thrill of hope we've looked at so far, we've looked at the promise uh, that God made to uh, Adam and Eve about a promised Messiah to come, one to redeem them from their sins. And then also last week we looked about how that God promised Abraham that there would be one to come after him that would redeem mankind from their sin. And then this week we're going to look at King David and God's promise to him. So Acts chapter 2, verses 29 through 36. Let's stand, if we will, and read these verses. It says, Dear brothers, think about this. You can be sure that the patriarch David wasn't referring to himself, for he died and was buried, and, to his, and his tomb is still here among us. But he was a prophet, and he knew God had promised with an oath that one of David's own descendants would sit on his throne. David was looking into the future and speaking of the Messiah's resurrection. He was saying that God would not leave him among the dead or allow his body to rot in the grave. God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. Now he is exalted to the place of the highest honor in heaven at God's right hand, and the Father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us, just as you see and hear today. For David himself never ascended into heaven, yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit in thy place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. So let everyone, everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we pray that you would engraft it in our heart. Lord, let it be hope to us, Lord, of your resurrection and your power that you have. And, Lord, that you're going to redeem us back to you so that we can live in heaven with you forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody says amen. You can be seated. The thrill of hope is a buildup of expectations that a promise is made, a promise is given, and a promise is received. And once it's received, that a hope takes root in our heart. And I know... Everybody in the room today has had people to make promises to you or, or give you a promise, and you receive that promise, and then you begin to hope for the outcome of that promise, that it would come to fruition in, in time. Sometimes it takes longer for some promises to come true than others. Sometimes somebody will promise you something, you'll think, well, they're never going to be able to come through with that, and you just wait, and you wait, and you wait, and you tarry, and you tarry, and you tarry, and then you just seems like it takes forever for the promise to come to pass. And it's the way it seems to be in our, our series that we're looking at so far that God promised Adam and, and Eve the promise of a, of a Messiah to come. And it took generations and generations and basically about 4,000 years for Jesus to come on the scene. Then God, last week we talked about that God promised Abraham. And, and you know it was probably somewhere between three and, and 2,500 years before Christ that this promise was made. And that's a long time to wait on a promise, isn't it? that God would promise you something and you have to wait 2,500 years, it would seem like it would take a long time. So sometimes in our greediness that we want our promises to come through right now, look at your neighbor and say, won't you just wait? <laughs> sometimes you got to wait. 
Bible says those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles, and they run and not grow weary, and they'll faint not. You know that the Bible tells us if we'll wait, and sometimes that's hard to wait. We don't like waiting. But I love it in Acts chapter 2 here that we read about that, that Peter is standing up and proclaiming to Israel that God had made a promise to David because all of the Israelites, they worshipped really basically King David. They, they look back at these former patriarchs and, and the people of Israel that day would actually worship these descendants of the earth or predecessors of theirs and they would look at them with great honor and they would put great honor in their account and their, they would look at David as a, as a, a hero amongst uh, the nation of Israel because he made them a nation by going to battle and going to war. and They, they thought great about David and David's accomplishments that he made. You know, And even when David was alive, the Bible says that the they would, they would sing David's praises, and they'd say, Saul has killed his thousand, but David his ten thousands. So, you know, it's, it's like that David was accomplishing a lot for the nation of Israel. And sometimes it seems like in our accomplishments, anybody ever had any accomplishments? That you've ever accomplished something that God gave you to do, and you went out and you accomplished it? Maybe he told you to go uh, witness to your neighbor, and you did, and then all of a sudden you saw them begin to start coming to church and then they, they, they got saved and they, they got cleaned up and they got dressed up and, and their family begins to come along with them. And I, I'm amazed sometimes at what God can do, ain't you? It's an accomplishment. He gives you one desire. And I thank God today that as I'm thinking, um, Pete and, and Melissa's not with us today, they're at another church down in Tolesboro watching their daughter, their teenage daughter, be baptized this morning. Do you know why Pete and Melissa come to church? you know why they attend? Because a young lady that goes to the Kentucky Heights campus called them and said, hey, won't you go to Bethesda? There's a church down by you named Bethesda. Won't you go and sit in there for a while? And they came and they, they both uh, uh, talked to us about giving their heart to the Lord and how that God's working in their life. And now both of their teenage daughters has been baptized in the last few months. Ain't that amazing? Even though their daughters go to different churches, other than here with their other parents, they're both baptized now. That's awesome because somebody was obedient to do what God asked them to do. So whenever God tells you to witness to your neighbor, guess what you ought to do? Maybe it's somebody, your friend, your co-worker, because the young lady that works, uh, that goes to Kentucky Heights, she works with this girl, Melissa, at school. So she's talking to her at school where she works and says, hey, won't you go to Bethesda? And God is at work in their life because of obedience. And it's amazing to me how that when we get promises from God and God asks us to do stuff, sometimes we get scared. Anybody ever been scared when God asks you to go witness? That's one of the biggest uh, frightening things in, in the Christian's life is whenever God says go witness to somebody. If you don't believe me, go back and read Jonah. Sometimes God tells you to go witness to people that you don't want to go witness to. Maybe they're not like you. Maybe they're heathen the way it was for Jonah. Jonah didn't want to go witness. Dusty done that series back in the summer that was great teaching us about Jonah and how that he had to go end up going and doing what God called him to do. But this promise God made to David was telling him, King David, yes, you are going to have one of your descendants set upon a throne and it's going to be so grand that you won't even be able to explain it. You see, David was dreaming and his whole life as he was winning battles and winning wars and, and taking over new jurisdiction for the nation of Israel. And he was reclaiming what was promised to Abraham. You see, the, the Philistines had come in and they'd taken over the country. 
They had completely taken over the country, and they were in power. And David goes back and begins to fight these wars and fight these battles, reclaiming territory that was previously promised to Abraham. How many likes losing stuff? Anybody like losing? Look at your neighbor and say, I'm not a loser. <laughs> I'm a sore loser is what I am. <laughs> My grandma, I think it's part of her uh, uh, thing she passed along, uh, Grandma Frances, she She's a sore loser. She don't like losing. She won't want to lose. And, and my mom's one of the worst. She's the sorest loser of all. Ain't she, Mary? You, you can't, you, if, if we're playing games on New Year's uh, Eve, you don't want to beat mom in a game because she's going to be a sore loser, I'll tell you right now. And it goes right down into my generation. And my, uh, uh, I'm the same way. I don't like losing. Losing's not fun. If you ain't first, you're last. I believe that's true. You ever won second place in something? Been like, yes, I won second. No. It's like, oh, man, I missed it. <laughs> had to watch it this week. One of the apprentices, he studied real hard all week. We had class all week long, and, and come the last day, and we're testing, and, and he, he, he tries real hard. There's other people in the room that's ten times smarter than him, but he, they don't try real hard, and, and, you know, they can just make a good grade. This boy was really trying. He was really putting it all out there and giving it all of his effort and studying all week and doing flashcards and doing everything. Come the end of the week, he started taking the test, and you had to have a 77% to pass. He makes a 73. He missed four questions. And he, he, it was just like he was let down. He was, he was just like he was de defeated. And I looked at him, and I said, look, there's people sitting over on the other side of the room that made 45% because they didn't try. You made a 73, and you ought to feel that that's an accomplishment for the amount of effort you put in to get that far. Because he don't measure up to get the certification doesn't matter. Did he try his best, and did he get a 73, and that's probably the best he could get? Yes, he did. So do your best no matter what. Don't compare yourself to somebody else. I don't have to make a 77 to prove myself. I don't have to be up to your standard. If you're 100%, if I fall at 73, I'm going to be okay. Don't compare yourself to one another. And that's David's, one of his biggest fault was, I believe that he looked at these other nations around him, and he wanted to compare himself to other nations. And all these other nations, he would look and he would see there would be these great capital cities and these big cities, would they would build these big buildings, Ernie, that were to just be in splendor about how, the, how glorious their kingdom was. David started getting jealous. And one of the things we have to fight is being jealous. It's a spirit of jealousy that can come on us. The Bible says God's a jealous God. But I believe his jealousy is holy. And my jealousy is not holy. When I begin to want other things, and David looked at all these other kingdoms, I want to be like them, God. I, I want to be like them. I, I want you to do for me what you're doing for them. And God's like, I ain't got no part in what they're doing. Sometimes we look at other people and, and begin to envy and, and look at their stuff and, and be jealous over their stuff when God's really saying, I don't have any part in that. So as we're looking today, I want us to see that David was looking with his natural eyes when God was telling him to look with your spiritual eyes. Sometimes we can look around and it looks like we're defeated, but guess what? If we look with our spiritual eyes and know the good things God's doing, we will see success. You can get all the way down to just you and you alone. If you look around and, and like the prophet, and he was looking at time, it's just me and my buddy here, and we're out here to fight this battle. What are we going to do? And the, the prophet tells him, said, go out there and look. He had already seen the host of angels. His buddy hadn't. 
until God opens our spiritual eyes to see what he's doing, we don't really know. Don't be jealous of somebody else. Look at your neighbor and say, don't be jealous. It's not good. It's not good to be jealous. And David started looking at these other kingdoms, and he wanted his kingdom to be like their kingdom. So he begins to set up and do these things. He's like, guess what, God? I, I, I worship you, God. And the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. He had a, a heart that worshiped God and, and truly wanted to see God do great things in Israel. And he fought all these battles and won all these wars and took back territory. And he, at, the, at, the end of, at the end of his days, he began to say, what can I do to be as good as everybody else? See, because we're all about le- building a legacy. How many wants on your tombstone and then write, here lies somebody useless? Nobody wants that. I want on my tombstone, here lies a man that tried his best. That gave it his all. So David was wanting this legacy to happen, but his legacy was he wanted a building to represent the worship of God. So David sets up and he tells God, you know, God, I'm going to build your house. And what's God telling? No, you're not. How do you like it when God tells you, no, you're not? It happens to all of us. I loved it. Pastor Josh Sargent preached a message one time. What's the answers of God? Yes, no, or slow. Wait, basically. God either tells you yes, no, or wait a while. That's his answers he's going to give you. So as, as David was wanting this answer and God said no, how do you react when God tells you no? How, how do we react as Christians today when God tells us no? God told him no, so David's like, okay, God, you don't want me to build a building, but I, I know that I want one, and I want our kingdom in Israel to have one, so I'll go ahead, and he went ahead and bought timber, he brought in stones, he brought gold, he had people giving and trying to get stuff gathered up so that his descendant Solomon could build a temple. You read your Bible, you know this. And as, as Solomon come, becomes king, he's got all these resources ready so that he can build the temple. God was telling them, I want a temple. I want a place where I can dwell on earth. But see, with their natural eyes, they was thinking he was wanting a building. When all along, God was saying, I don't want to live in a building, in a room. I want to live in you. I want to dwell in you. The New Testament comes along and it says Christ in you, the hope of glory. We have a thrill of hope on the inside of us of our resurrected bodies. Someday we're going to attain and we're going to live in heaven someday forever. I listened to a preacher this week, and he, or actually this morning, and he, he was talking about how long's eternity going to be. He said if you take a little bird and put him on the east coast and pick up one grain of sand and it flies all the way to the west coast, until he can pick up every grain of sand on every beach on the east coast and carry it to the west coast, one grain at a time, that ain't even a drop in a bucket compared to eternity. It's amazing how long eternity is going to be. But David wanted to build this house, so he set his son up, and Solomon comes along, and he builds a house. He built this great, marvelous temple, and you read your Bible, and it's, there's so much uh, uh, verbiage that talks about the splendor of that building. 
And everybody's like, they, they had this big uh, 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 worship service where that all of Israel come, and it's the, 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 one of the psalms is a song of ascent where that they're going up and they're worshiping. It talks about Solomon and killing all these, uh, uh, giving all these sacrifices and doing all these things because he's worshiping. But really, they're not worshiping God. They're worshiping the building. And the reason they're worshiping the building is because they want to be in splendor compared to their neighbor's country. How many of us, truly, if we would put on our spiritual glasses and look the way God looks, we put splendor into our White House. According to who's in the White House, whether we're going to be saved or not. We put that much stock in man. Because one or the other gets elected means we're going to be doomed to fail or doomed for or, or uh, have a promise of success. When all along God's saying, don't I sustain you? Am I not the pr your protector? Am I not the one that has made you and carried you through all the storms of your life? These men that you're putting your, your, your account into and, and you're, uh, that you're allowing them to have this place and position in your life, God's saying, don't, won't you just worship me and let me take care of your life? I, I'm si how many sick of politics? How many sick that the election is going to be a year from now? Man, we've got to go through this for a whole other year. God's saying, just trust me. The Bible says that he's the one that puts them in their place anyway. <laughs> Amen. He's the one that takes care of us. He's the one that, that assumes responsibility for our life when we're a Christian. So David began to look at this, and he, he, he was looking for a promise, but the promise was he was wanting that building to be his declaration that he was a good king to the earth. And in that, there's, there's uh, I looked at this like this way, that you, if you take steps, that in uh, a time of, of uh, let, me, let me make sure, I, I wrote notes. I want this note to make sure I get the right words first because I, I can't keep it in my mind. Four words, starts with a C. First, chaos. The nation of Israel was in a time of chaos, that there was, there was all kinds of chaos going on in the world that they were existing in. And as that chaos was there, and that was where wars broke out and all these things, it was a time of chaos in David's life during the early times you didn't even know about. And we read the story, the one story that everybody knows about King David was that there was David and Goliath, that it was a, a time of war. Even in uh, David's early childhood days, it was chaos. And sometimes there's times of chaos in our life. Anybody say amen? You ever been through a time of chaos? where it seems like things were out of control? Does anybody feel like that today, that, that it's like a season of our life where we're out of control and the world's running amok and we don't know, we don't have the answer? Should we go bomb Syria? Should we not? Should we go over and take out ISIS? Should we let them go for a little while and, and try to contain Nobody knows. Everybody, it's, it's a time of chaos. During chaos, there's always wars. Why we're in a day of war we're in today is because it's chaotic in our world. It was chaotic in David's day. And when chaos comes, confusion happens. Anybody ever feel confused? Anybody wake up one morning thinking we ought to do this, and then the next morning wake up and think, well, we shouldn't I'm glad we didn't do that yesterday because it would have made a mess today. So as we look at this, that there's chaos, then there's confusion. That's, that's where David was like, I'm going to build you a house, God. And God's like, I don't really want a house, David. 
but God, I want you to have this big house. And God was like, really, David? I think you're the one wanting the house. Yeah? Don't that sound like us? God, I think we need to do this. This is what we ought to do. And God's sitting up there like, no, that's not my plan. <laughs> Back up a minute. Wait. So there's confusion there that our mind gets confused. That's chaos, then confusion. Then the next thing, there's consequences. When there's chaos and there's confusion, if we make the wrong decision, there's consequences. Those consequences must be paid. Because in the order of things, the way God operates, if you do wrong, <laughs> you will pay a price, right? If, there, if whatever actions you have, your, your actions will have a consequence. Look at your neighbor and say, your actions will have a consequence. Absolutely. That's why. Has anybody ever done something bad and paid a consequence for it? Yeah, I think we all have. So as this consequence happens, that the, and, and the consequence was the uh, reason God looked at David and said, you're not going to build me a house, he said, because there's blood on your hands. You're a man of war, David. I can't let you build me a temple because you're a man of war. You've got blood on your hands. How many of us today want to do great things for God, but then when God looks at us, he says, yeah, but you've got all this blood on your hands. Jesus taught in the New Testament that if, that if you, you hate your brother, you've already murdered him. If there's hate inside of our heart, we've murdered our brother. That means you've got blood on your hands. How many knows a murderer is somebody with blood on their hands? If you hate people, you've got a consequence that there's blood on your hands. And then that will take the consequence of God allowing to work through you or not working through you. Look at your neighbor and say, it's time to clean your hands. Amen. It's time to clean your hands. The Bible talks about that. Clean, clean your hands. Purify your hearts, you sinners. I'm talking to me myself, too. God tells us to clean our hands and purify our hearts. That's what we're to do today. So there's consequences for the things that we have done prior to this point in our life. And if we want to do something for God, it's time to clean up our act. It's time to do the right thing. So there's consequences there. And then the, I love the last part is that there's chaos, there's confusion, then there's consequences. It's a time for confession. It's a time for confession. So now we've talked about this from David's perspective, that there was chaos, that there was confusion in David's life. He'd done some things and he paid the consequences for it, but now it was time for David to confess some things. And I'm glad that we read about King David, that in the end of his life that he confessed his faults to God. And he said, God, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Ain't you glad that you've got a point in your life, whenever you understand all these things happening, that you've got a point that you need to just confess to God? So in the New Testament, we read about in Acts, I love this story, that it brings right into King David's uh, line of, of the actions that King David had lined up with. Let's come to Acts chapter 2 now in the New Testament. Jesus had promised his disciples. He said, go and tarry in Jerusalem until I come. You will be endured, uh, endued with power from on high. Wait for me in Jerusalem. King David goes and waits. And as he's there waiting, or, or not King David, but the disciples, as they're waiting on God, and they're looking for God to do something in their midst, 500 of them go. Wasn't there? 500 went. That's how many seen Jesus that day. And then you look at the day of Pentecost, 
In Acts chapter 2, 120 of them is left standing. Can I tell you today that everybody that starts with God won't end with God? This is scary. Just because you start with God don't mean you're going to end with God. I don't believe in eternal security, do you? Why don't I believe in eternal security? Because I believe when we mess up, that's called sin. And I believe sin separates us from God. So I don't believe in eternal security. I believe we'll be eternally secure once we go over across Jordan and if we're right, standing right before God then at that point in our life. I don't believe that, that, you know, and this is a whole thing about backsliding. I believe that the Bible says that the Lord, he's, he's married to the backslider. He's, he wants the backslider to come home. He's not looking to kick them out of heaven instantaneously. He, he don't want to just kill them right then. He's still wanting to bring them back. And the old prophet, you know, that went out and married the, the prostitute and constantly went back to get her back and get her back and get her back. That's the way we are with God. God wants us back. It was a picture of us. Not calling you a prostitute. God did. If you've ever counseled anybody that's going through a season of their life where that there's been infidelity, You'll see how hard it is to get somebody to take somebody back after they've been wrong. Somebody cheats on you, you don't want to trust them anymore, do you? So why do we expect God to trust us when we come back every other day? Because he's a loving God and he's beyond, his ways are beyond our ways. His, his thoughts are beyond our thoughts. We can't even figure out how, why God still loves us the way he does because that's who he is. That's his nature. So in the New Testament, in Acts chapter 2, as we see and we read through Acts chapter 2, we'll understand this, that there was a day right, right in Acts chapter 2, the beginning verses, talks about that as the disciples were there and they were in the upper room, they were waiting, there's 120 left. Look at your neighbor and say, there's 120 left out of 500. That's not very good odds, is it, D? Better hang with it, buddy. Don't worry about what somebody else is walking away from God. Don't walk away from God yourself. The best thing, those 120 that was still there that day, was that they wasn't worried about, could I keep so-and-so with me? I'm going for God. Either stay or go. I'm staying here. So this happens that day, and there's 120 there, and the Bible says that the Holy Spirit fell on them. They received tongues as a cloven, like a, a, a mighty rushing wind came through, and cloven tongues of fire set upon each of their head. They began to speak in tongues, and as they were speaking in tongues, they was glorifying God. They get out into the streets. Guess what happens when God showed up in their hearts and they went out in the streets testifying of God? Chaos. Was it not chaos? What was the people standing around there that day doing? They're saying, what are you doing? You're drunk. It's nine in the morning. I've known some people that was drunk at nine in the morning. <laughs> Haven't you? But it's wrong. It's weird. So everybody's like, what's wrong with you people? It's chaos. It's, it's chaotic. The environment is chaotic. And they don't understand what's going on. And when there's chaos, there's confusion. Let's follow the pattern. Just like King David's life. Chaos, confusion. Now they're confused. And they get out around these 120 and they're like, we're hearing you testify about good things about God. But I don't understand. Because see, my world's in a mess right now. 
How many knows when some people's glorifying God and you're going through a mess, you don't understand why everything's going perfect in their life? These 120 was having a good uh, moment with Jesus and uh, a happy time in their life, but there's these other people out in the street was there, and they had just saw the Messiah be crucified, Jesus, who they didn't think was the Messiah. Have you ever read your Bible? In the middle of that night when Jesus was crucified, the Bible says that the, the veil was rent. It was torn in two. You know what that means for a Jewish person? That's chaos moment because that big veil was something that held God behind that wall. They didn't want God to see into their life. They wanted God to stay behind that curtain so that only the high priest could go in once a year. This is a chaotic time in their life. They don't understand. God, earthquakes are happening. The veil is rent. All this junk's going on. And we're still up here in Jerusalem trying to figure out what's going on. And now look at this. There's a bunch of people running around talking in tongues and I don't know what they're talking about. Looks to me like they're drunk. Chaos. Now I'm confused. Has anybody ever been confused? But if you've got hope in your heart, it'll help alleviate all these things. I'm here today to tell you, if you've got hope in your heart, if there's a thrill of hope down on the inside of you that Jesus Christ is alive and well, and you don't have to worry about tomorrow, I'm telling you right now, chaos will not shake you. Confusion will not shake you. Ain't you glad that we got a hope of a resurrected Jesus that can take us beyond these things that we're seeing here in this story? That there was chaos in the streets. People began to be confused because they didn't understand. There's times in our lives we don't understand during chaotic moments. I don't understand sometimes, Ernie. I don't understand everything God's doing. But if I just sit back and wait and let God be God and let Ben take care of Ben and let Ben worry about am I in, right or in the right uh, uh, state of, of, of living with God, am, am I standing before him holy today if he come back right now this very instant are you sitting here unsecure about where you're at with God or are you secure with God are you worried if he if this very minute in this instant that the flash of lightning just like the video we've watched before here that if the rapture happened this very instant are you okay with God we better be Chaos was happening in the street. Confusion began to happen. And then the consequences began to happen. Because as Peter's preaching these verses that we just read in Acts chapter 2, uh, 29 through 36, as we read those verses, Peter is preaching a sermon to confused, chaotic people. They are wondering, Ernie, what's going on? There's people in our world right now that are confused during this chaotic time. And what should they see the church doing? Should they see the church worried about the consequences we need to pay for our bad actions? Should they see a church that says uh, that God's going to judge us and going to condemn us and we're going to pay the price for all of the sin of all mankind? No, they should see a church that's sitting back saying, I know the one who can take care of me. I know the one in the middle of this chaos, in the middle of this confusion. I know the one that can take care of me. He holds me by the hand. He wakes me up every morning. I'm not confused. I know it's chaos. 
I know that there's consequences for the sin in my life, and I've already asked Jesus to take care of those consequences. I've already asked him to write my name down on the Lamb's book of life. I've already asked a risen Savior to come and save me from my sin. I don't have to worry about this. So the world's looking for answers. The church should be the answer. There should be a thrill of hope on the inside of the church that says, yes, God is God, and I'm just a man, but God takes care of me. It don't have to be my way. God takes care of those things. So as Peter's preaching this message, he's telling them, King David had a promise. He had a promise. He had a thrill of hope on the inside of him that someday one of his descendants would sit on the throne. That's what the promise was. God promised David, one day your kid, one of your children's children's children will be sitting on the throne. And it'll be a lofty throne. It'll be a throne where the enemies can't even get to him anymore. Imagine a kingdom like that. That's the, that would set David's heart on fire, wouldn't it? He had been through so many battles, so many wars, he was worried to death about everybody always being against him. Imagine God promising you, your enemies will be at peace with you. Do you have hope for your children like this? Has God promised you hope of a blessing on your children? That even their enemies are going to be at peace with them? How many loves it when your kids come home and say, so-and-so picked on me on the bus. So-and-so said this about me. So-and-so said that. There was a bully at school today. That's their enemy. You don't like it. What if God made you a promise even their enemies would be at peace with them? David was looking for this promise, and Peter's preaching about it. There's coming a day when there's a promised one that's going to set on a kingdom, and it's going to be so grand that even their enemies can't do anything to them. David wanted that. And as Peter's preached to him, he said, Look, that descendant of David has been born. He's lived here for 33 and a half years. In the last verses, let's see if you'll put up those last two verses. Chaos. Confusion, consequences. Now we're to the last one. Sit in place of honor at the right hand until I humble his enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. And if you go on and read the rest of the way through Acts chapter 2, you'll see that 3,000 people standing in the streets that day that had been going through chaos, confusion, and worried about the consequences for their actions, they had a point of confession. And at that point of confession, 3,000 people's lives that day was changed in an instant. They didn't have to worry about what's going on anymore because God was going on on the inside of them. Do you have any hope today? Are you promised anything today? Leslie, won't you come? Don't worry about the chaos in the world. Don't worry about the confusion going on around us. There's people in our church. This week has been a chaotic week. There's confusion. You're asking God why. You don't need to ask why. You're thinking, is this a consequence of something I've done wrong? Don't worry about you. Just keep stay right before God. All we need to worry about is this last one. The only one we as Christians need to worry about is this last C. And that's the C of confession. We need to wake up every day and say, God, actually we need to confess before we go to bed. Before you lay your head down at night, say, God, I confess. The world's a train wreck. 
I'm confused. There's consequences all the way around me, but God, I just want to confess today. Take care of me. And I place my hope and trust in you. If you'll do that, he will oblige you of your desire. Won't you stand? anybody here today that'll just raise your hand and say, Pastor Ben, it feels like my world is in total chaos. I feel like my world is in total chaos. It's spinning out of control and I can't keep the wheels on the track. Seems like it keeps flying off. It's in chaos. It's chaotic, my life. Can anybody raise your hand and say, that's me? Several hands. Does anybody else say, you put your hands down, does anybody else say that Pastor Ben, I've been confused lately by this chaos. I've been going through a, a emotional roller coaster, and it seems like I'm on a high and I'm on a super low, and it seems like I can't get regulated, and it's just absolutely like I'm it's spinning outside out of control, and I don't know what to do. Is there anybody else say I'm confused? They're willing to admit today I'm confused. Several hands here. You can put your hands down. Is there anybody else? say, Pastor Ben, I know it's been chaos, I know I've been confused, but today I feel like that the reason I'm failing is because of consequences of my bad decisions. Is there anybody here today that'll admit my bad decisions is what's landed me? I feel like that's what's landed me where I'm at today. Does anybody raise their hand and say, Mike, I feel like I'm paying consequences for wrong actions. You can put your hand down. Now I'm thanking God that we're to the last one. I want everybody here to just pray this prayer with me. Everybody say, Heavenly Father, I thank you for your son Jesus and for the blood he shed on Calvary for me. Help me in this chaotic world not to be confused. And Lord, that I will understand that all my actions, I will pay consequences. Help me to know that I will always do the right thing when you ask me to do it. Guide my steps. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Forgive my sins. Today is a new day. I'm starting over. In Jesus' name. I believe that if you pray that prayer, if you mean it with your whole heart, that God can begin to set you on the right path.